from looking at another of the pieces of spiritual armor that makes up the full armor of God or the whole armor of God. And it seems that every week I am compelled to say, this is probably the most important piece. But in reality, they're all equally important. And each piece serves an important part to make up this full armor of God. And it's this full armor of God that will allow us to stand victoriously against a powerful and relentless enemy, the devil. Earlier in Ephesians 6, Paul described how the devil comes against the people of God with various wiles or schemes. And his primary mission is to destroy our faith and to draw our attention away from God. Paul repeatedly admonishes us to stand. And we've talked about this a lot. Just stand against the attacks of the devil. When he wrote about standing, it referred to a soldier who refused to give up even an inch of ground to an attacking enemy. It is standing and saying, I have come this far, and I'm not going back. It's the image of a soldier that's on the defensive, protecting the ground that has already been taken from the enemy. In each of our lives, there might be times when we feel like we have not exactly made a lot of forward progress since we've been saved, but God has given every one of us some precious ground in the forms of, of truths and promises from the Word of God. And the devil would like to take every one of them away from us. These are promises that the devil will try to make us think. He'll say, but that one's not for you. Truths like who God is. Truths like how much he loves us. We have the word that the writer of the Psalms called a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. We have his spirit, and if we will allow it to, it will lead us and guide us into all truth. We have his grace, the promise of salvation. We have his blessings. There's a lot of other things that we as children of God have been given. And even though those things are ours, the devil does not want us to have any of those things, so he does everything in his power to take them away from us. Of course, there are some things the devil can't take away. Old song, the world didn't give it to me and the world can't take it away. And since he can't take them away, he does everything in his power to diminish the influence of those things in our lives. If he can't take them away from us, he'll just make us think they aren't that important and we'll just give them up ourselves. He will try to invalidate the blessings from God that he can't steal. So if we're going to stand and hold the ground that we've been giving, given, then we must put on the full armor of God. In the past several weeks, we've looked at the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith. And I've always believed that repetition is the best way to learn. So I stay with me just a couple minutes, two and a half minutes, as we quickly cover what those pieces mean for somebody that might not have been here the whole time. The belt of truth speaks of a life that is built on faithfulness to God and his word. It speaks of us holding on to truth in both our testimony and in our living. In other words, not just what we say, but what we do. Unless our lives and our testimonies are rooted in and lived out in truth, we will not be able to stand when the devil comes against us. The breastplate of righteousness speaks of a holy life. It speaks of a life filled with the righteousness of God. Not self-righteousness, but righteousness that only comes from God through Jesus Christ. It is a life that is lived in conformity with the Word of God, and a life that is lived this way is a 
powerful defense against whatever the devil would bring against you. When we allow sin to live in our lives, we give Satan an opening through which he can attack us and exploit us. Sin gives Satan all the ammunition he needs to destroy our lives. Personal holiness closes the door to Satan, and it protects us from him when he attacks us. The shoes of the gospel of peace speak about our foundation in Jesus. When our, when our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, it means that we are saved by grace, we know it, and nothing and no one can change our mind. Satan will try to make us doubt that we're really saved. But when we wear this part of the armor of God, we are sure in our salvation. We cannot be moved. And that causes us to be a very hard target for the enemy. The shield of faith talks about the daily faith in God, the kind that that we trust him in every season of our life. When times are good, we know the just shall live by faith. When times are bad, we still know the just shall live by faith. Even when the fiery arrows of the devil are raining down all around us, the shield of faith protects us. It allows us to stay in the fight. When we live behind the shield of faith, again, we're a very hard target for the devil. Today we're going to look more closely at another piece, the helmet of salvation. The helmet that was worn by an ancient soldier, first century soldier, was of the utmost importance. Much like the shield that they carried, the helmet was made either of thick leather covered by plates of metal, or it was made of solid metal that was beaten into the shape of the person's head. Hopefully not while they had it on. In Paul's description of the various parts of the armor of God, the helmet is the shortest description. Ephesians 6.17 describes it. It says, take the helmet of salvation. That's what it says. Just take the helmet of salvation. This short description is probably due to the fact that the purpose of the helmet is pretty obvious. It protects our head. Let's look at some historical information. In ancient times, many armies employed cavalry cavalry these soldiers were mounted on horseback and carried what was called a broadsword a broadsword was a two-handed sword it was usually around three feet in length and it had a double-edged blade this sword now you got a guy up on a on a on a horse here and guys down on the ground and it was swung by this soldier that's on a horse in an effort to either split somebody's head open or cut their head off completely The helmet was designed specifically to protect against the blow of the broadsword. And by doing so, it protected the soldier from serious injury and death. And here was the point. The point was you might get knocked down. If a guy's coming at you on a horse and he's swinging a three-foot sword and hits you in the head, he's probably going to knock you down. The difference is if you have the helmet on, you'll probably get back up. And when you get back up, you'll have your head attached which is always good. A soldier going into battle without a helmet would have instantly exposed himself to the deadliest of blows. Leaving off any part of the armor would have been dangerous, but to go without a helmet would be absolutely unthinkable. In much the same way, we cannot afford to go through our daily lives without the helmet of salvation. Our text, our scripture text, says that the that spiritual helmet we are to wear in spiritual battles is a helmet of salvation. What does that mean? 
I believe it indicates that Satan's blows are aimed where? At our minds. That's what he's attacking us, and he's good at it. He is intent on destroying our sense of security. He is intent on destroying our hope and our assurances in Jesus Christ, and most often, he does it by attacking our minds. He might not be able to get us to go rob a 7-Eleven, but if he can start putting stuff in our head that tells us that we're not worthy, if he can start putting stuff in our head that says, you never were saved in the first place, then all of a sudden, he's got an end. The devil can strike a blow against us that causes us to be discouraged, filled with doubt. When he does that, he will have no trouble either temporarily sidelining, temporarily sidelining us or taking us out of the battle altogether. While a helmet protected a Roman soldier against damaging and deadly blows to the head, spiritually seeking, speaking, the helmet of salvation protects the mind against anything that would disorient or destroy us as a Christian. I believe much like the broadsword used in the first century, the sword the devil uses is two-sided too. There's a lot of ways he attacks our minds, but I believe the two he uses the most are discouragement and doubt. One of the ways the devil uses discouragement is causing us to look at our, our sins, our failures, the problems in our life, both real and perceived our health issues, any negative situation we face, the devil will come at us and try to use us against us. And when he gets our attention off of the Lord and on the negative issues in life, he knows that at some point, if we continue down that road of thinking, we will doubt that God loves us. And we'll start doubting that he really cares for us. The devil will whisper in your ear, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Why do you trust him? Look at this mess that you're in right now. You say, how do you know that? Been there. Some of y'all have too. When we get our eyes off of God and start listening to the devil, the end result is typically discouragement. And I will tell you that discouragement doesn't just happen to brand new Christians. Even those who have been in the battle for a long time and have enjoyed a lot of spiritual success can find themselves victims of discouragement and disillusionment. Consider for a minute the prophet Elijah. There are very few people in the history of the world that have ever enjoyed such a string of spiritual victories like the ones Elijah experienced. Look at this. Elijah had been hiding from King Ahab for years. But when he came out from hiding... And he showed back up in one day. Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal. How did he do it? He called fire down from heaven. How cool is that? He called fire down from heaven. And then when it was all over and all the other things happened, he outran King Ahab, who was in a chariot, from Mount Carmel all the way back to Jezreel, and it was about 17 miles. And we say, that's quite a day, right? Woo-hoo, victory. Yes. The very next day, the very next day, after he was doing his little Holy Ghost happy dance, there came word from Queen Jezebel. 
She was angry at Elijah, and look what she said in 1 Kings 19.2. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Talking about the people that got destroyed by fire from heaven. In other words, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. Really? After all that happened yesterday, what did Elijah do? Well, we would think he would just stand there and call on God to call down fire. No, he turned around and ran. He traveled to Beersheba, and he threw himself under a shrub. And in 1 Kings 19 and 4, he prayed to die. Let me get my shrub here. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. This is not a broom tree. He sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And here's what he said. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. In other words, he said, I'm done. I quit. Kill me now. After what had just happened, after calling fire down from heaven, after outrunning a chariot for 17 miles, the very next day he is so discouraged that he says, God, just kill me now. He was ready to resign as a prophet, quit on God, and die. God showed up in the wilderness. Isn't that cool how God didn't say, you want to run, you just run. God showed up in the wilderness. He rebuked Elijah. And he didn't just rebuke him. This is, just tells what kind of God we serve. He didn't just rebuke him. When Elijah fell asleep and woke back up, there was bread by his side that had been cooked over a fire, and there was fresh water. That's what my God does. That's what kind of God I serve. I might run from him. I might say, God, just kill me now. But he'll come to me. He'll refresh me. He might rebuke me in there somewhere, but he'll refresh us. So once Elijah is refreshed by food and water, he travels 40 miles to the mountain of Horeb, and he goes into a cave and spends the night. Look what God said, 1 Kings 19.9. There he went into a cave, Elijah, and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing? I see you're in this cave. Elijah's reply indicated the state of his heart. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, all those other people, they've rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're going to kill me too. There's nobody else that wants to live for the Lord. I'm the last and I've done so much, and I've tried so hard, and yet everybody else has given up. Ever felt like that? I have. 
Not on Monday mornings. <laughs> Elijah goes on complaining. And then after a lot of conversation between he and God, God assures Elijah in a still small voice, he says, Elijah, there are 7,000 people in Israel who have remained faithful and have not bowed to Baal. 7,000 people. And I will tell you today, you might feel like you're alone. You might look around this place and say, but it's not full and it's just us. It's not just us. It's not just you. There are people all around the world today that are praising God. There are people all around the world that are feeling what we felt in this place today. There are people all around the world that are being filled with the Spirit. You are not alone. You see, Elijah learned that the truth that spiritual victory does not insulate us against discouragement. In our walk with God, there will be highs and there will be lows. There will be proverbial mountaintops. There will be valleys. There will be times of rejoicing and there will be other times when life is just hard. Just, it's just hard. There is no storm, regardless of how powerful it might have seemed at the time, that has ever lasted forever. That goes for storms like weather we have here in Florida. It goes for the storms of life. But how we handle those storms is what makes all the difference. Do we cut and run out of discouragement and despair, or do we stand? Someone once said that Satan has many, many tools, but discouragement is the handle that fits them all. There's a lot of truth in that. You might have been saved for years, but if the devil can get you discouraged in your walk with the Lord, then he can get you out of the battle. There's been great men of God that were pastors and pastored great churches and did mighty things for, the, for God and did tremendous things and saw so many people come to the Lord and they themselves at some point became discouraged and they walked away from it. If he can get you focused on your problems, on the failures of your life, on the shortcomings of others, on the shortcomings of others. I said that twice because it's, he uses that one a lot. If he can get us to look at somebody else and say, I just can't do this anymore, I can't put up with those people. I don't say that on Monday. If he can get us to think about anything that's negative, he can overwhelm your defenses and cause you to doubt the goodness of God. We don't think about it like this, but it's true. When we allow problems, pain, people, and other situations to make us discouraged to the point where we quit on God, the devil has won that battle. And for a period of time, he has caused us to doubt God's goodness and his grace. And I will tell you that regardless of the reason we name, when we allow Satan to discourage us to the point where we stop serving the Lord, we are at that moment looking God in the face and saying, 
I don't believe that you're bigger than this problem. Sounds harsh, but it's true. In the book of Job, we read about a man whose helmet was firmly in place. Satan had unleashed all of hell against Job. And still, Job refused, Job refused to doubt the goodness of God. Job didn't understand why his children had to die. He didn't understand why everything he had was gone, blown away by a wind. Why, while everything he had worked for all his life was now gone, he didn't understand it. But in the middle of all those things, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You see, Job's helmet, it deflected every blow that, the Satan, that Satan brought on him. Satan would come in and swing this way, and it would knock Job around a little bit. He found himself on the ground a few times, and he would come back, and he would swing this way, and it would maybe knock him down again, and his friends would come around and say, you've done something horrible. No, I haven't. In fact, if he slays me, I'm still going to trust him. Be sure your helmet is in place. Refuse to allow Satan to cause you to focus your attention on the events of life, on the actions of people, and as a result of that, become discouraged. If he can get your eyes off of the Lord and onto the difficulties of life, you will be easy prey for his broadsword. It's not hard to be discouraged when it seems like everything in life is against you. On the other side of that, it's very easy to be discouraged when the prayers that you've prayed, the answer seems to be delayed. As a pastor, it can be easy to be discouraged when it seems your preaching, your teaching seems to be ineffective. Sometimes it might even seem that discouragement is our default setting. It's where we always end up. Satan knows this, and he exploits this weakness in our lives. Even when we are discouraged by the events of life, we can never allow ourselves to forget that he always has our situation in hand. You can get discouraged. Just don't walk away from God. You can get discouraged but never forget that he is God. He is the God that made the heaven and the earth. He is the God that formed you. And if he can do that, he can take care of whatever problem you're facing. He can be trusted to do what is right all the time. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Knowing and believing this, we cannot become weary in well-doing. But if we carry on, we have to know that in due season we will reap if we faint not. We just have to keep going, and eventually we will see victory if we don't quit. The other side of, the other edge of Satan's broadsword is doubt. When we get to the place where we doubt our salvation, we doubt the word of God, we are easily defeated by the enemy. We've seen what discouragement can do. And when we begin to doubt our salvation, we can become discouraged. When we begin to doubt God's faithfulness, we are easily discouraged because we don't believe God's going to come through for us this time. 
when we come to doubt the word of God, we have the very foundations for hope in the Lord undermined, and then we have no ground on which to stand. If Satan can convince you that you're not really saved, or that somehow you have lost your salvation, you will be devastated spiritually. This kind of doubt paralyzes a believer. As a result, it makes them unproductive and miserable. There is nothing that sidelines a child of God more quickly than having their peace and security in Jesus stripped away. When we forget the truth of John 14, 27, we're easy prey for the enemy. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you the kind that the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. I will tell you that Satan has a very easy time defeating a believer who has lost his assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. If Satan has been beating you with that sword, let me remind you of this. If you are in Jesus, let me say that again. If you are in Jesus, your salvation is secure. John 10, 28 and 29 says, I give them eternal life and they can never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1 and 6 says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 3, 1, verses 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. No one can take your salvation away from you. Listening to the devil will bring about doubt that ultimately leads to discouragement. Now, you can walk away from it if you want, but nobody will take is able to take it away from you. The devil can't take it away from you. We just saw several scriptures that says he can't. So here's the key to all of this. Be sure you're saved. That's the key. Be sure that you have more than just a church membership or some vague religious experience. Be sure that that you are trusting in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for your salvation. Don't assume that you're saved because you checked a couple boxes on a salvation checklist. It's more than that, y'all. There are several things we need to examine to be sure of where we stand with the Lord. And to do that, we have to examine our lives since the time that we say that we came to the Lord. We need to look at our lives and see how we're living. Look at our priorities now as opposed to what they were before we say we came to the Lord. Look at what we love, what we do, what we live for. 
Look at what we are trusting in for our salvation. And let's go back to that other. Look at who we are now as opposed to then. That scripture in, in, in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, I believe, that says that we will become a new creation. If you are the same person you were before you say you got saved, then you didn't get saved. Because when we get saved, we become a new creation. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. It's not the point here. Instead, what I'm trying to do is to get us to be honest and examine our lives to make sure that we know without a doubt that we are saved. For a number of reasons. First and foremost, I don't want you to miss out on heaven because you were following after a false profession. That's one. And secondly, I want you to be able to stand when the enemy comes against you and says, but you're not saved. And when he does that, I want you to be able to have on that helmet of salvation and look the devil in the eye and say, I am saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you can't take that away from me. And in that, you stand strong and you stand secure. On the other side of that, there's times when it comes to salvation that we blame our doubts on the devil when it's really the Lord who's trying to show us that we're not really saved. That we need to be born again. It's what we refer to in, in Christianese. That special language we have when we get saved in church as conviction. If God is speaking to your heart and you feel something tugging on your heart and it's not a condemning type tug, it's a loving tug that says, check your heart. Check your heart. There's some things there that shouldn't be there. You need to get rid of those. I love you and I want you to get rid of those things out of your life. The devil won't do that. So today we need to ask ourselves, am I saved? Followed by, am I sure? Doubt can be devastating. So can discouragement. But we can know that we are saved even when the devil tells us different. We know that God is able to keep us even when we're discouraged. If you are discouraged today, why not take that discouragement to the Lord? He will help you with that. What about doubt? Has the devil been hacking you just over and over and over over the last week with the broadsword of doubt? If so, why don't you call on the Lord today? before you leave this place and ask him to help you to take on and put on that helmet of salvation. He can settle your spirit. And he can give you peace today. And you can leave this place today knowing for sure I am saved. If something happens to me, it's okay. I'm saved. This is just a temporary tent I've got something better waiting for me. He can enable you to stand against everything the devil throws at you. You do not have to live a life 
of continual defeat by the devil. You can withstand the assaults of discouragement and doubt, but you can only do it if you have the full armor of God, including the helmet of salvation in place. The helmet also protected the eyes of a soldier, enabled him to to have physical vision. Spiritual vision allows us as Christians to fix our eyes on a goal and press forward without distractions. You notice those helmets, a lot of times they had pieces on the side, kind of like blinders that horses have. Kept them focused on what was ahead. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Apostle Paul continually set an example of pressing forward with his eyes on the goal. He urged the people of the church at Philippi to do the same. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, he said, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of for me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. With the helmet of salvation in place, we can focus on the goal of salvation, imitating the life of Christ in order to reach the goal that was made possible for us. We don't have to live in discouragement. We don't have to live in doubt because we have hope that will sustain us on this journey. We have vision to lock our eyes firmly on the goal. When we look at it this way, it tells us how valuable a piece of the armor this helmet of salvation is. Salvation is the ultimate goal of each and every Christian. The armor that we have been given to get us there is indispensable. Protect your mind through this battle that we're all fighting. Don't give the devil away into your mind. Cause you to doubt or be discouraged. Put on the helmet of salvation. If you are here today, maybe you're watching online, and you've come to a place of discouragement. Maybe the devil has just about got you into a place where you're saying, I give up, just like Elijah. Just kill me now. I quit. You can be refreshed. Just like God did with Elijah. He can refresh you today before you leave this place. Maybe, maybe you're fine. 
You just want to get a little bit more. Maybe he's been working at you with doubt, trying to make you believe that 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 salvation that you got a long time ago, it really wasn't real. After all, look at the things you've done since then. That's why there's grace. That's why there's mercy. That's why there is repentance and forgiveness. Don't listen to the devil. Would you stand this morning? If you have never made a start to live for the Lord, would you make that start today? It doesn't matter what you've done. We serve a God of forgiveness, and he says that if we will come to him in repentance, not just saying, I'm sorry, but saying, take these things, all the stuff I've done, I can't even list them all, just take them all. And I was headed that way. Now I'm going to go this way, and I'm going to follow Jesus. If you need to do that today, or if you would like to do that, if you'll step out, we'll pray with you here today. He has promised that he will forgive you and that those sins will be cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. And he has promised to fill you with his spirit. If you would just like to go a little closer, Maybe you started living for the Lord a long time ago and you've kind of gotten away from it and you say, Lord, I just, want to, I just want to be refreshed in your spirit. Would you come today? We're going to sing a chorus. These altars are open. Would you come as we sing?